This is Chad Brashears, and you're listening to Never In My Wildest Dream podcast. This podcast is about creating a behind-the-scenes look with coaches, fans, and reporters from our point of view, sharing cool stories as only we've lived them. The goal is for you to learn something new to help your life and allow yourself to take a break from everyday chaos and let us give you a behind-the-scenes look into our world. Never In My Wildest Dreams podcast begins in... Good morning and welcome to Never My Wildest Dream podcast. Today is Wednesday, February the 3rd, 2021, day three of month number two here in the new calendar year. Looking forward to today's show. We're going to have sports wrap as well as Wednesday wisdom. And Coach Donnie Lynn from Radford Basketball will be on today as well so we can kind of catch up, talk a little bit about his experiences at the collegiate level, Division One level, Final Four experience, that type of stuff. Looking forward to that as well. Let's start off first in sports. EA Sports. It's in the game. According to Daryl Holt, the EA Sports Vice President and General Manager, college football is back at EA Sports. And for those of us who grew up with this, it is awesome news. I don't even have a video game system, but I can promise you this. I will figure out which one to buy and I will get a video game system because EA Sports NCAA football is the best game that they've ever made. I'm super excited that it's back. We first will start in the association. The Toronto Raptors beat the Orlando Magic 123-108. to The New Jersey Nets beat the LA Clippers 124-120. to The Pacers take care of the Grizzlies 134-116. to the Trailblazers beat the struggling Wizards 132 to 121. The Utah Jazz beat the Detroit Pistons 117 to 105. The Celtics go on the road to Golden State and win 111 to 107 in college basketball. The Baylor Bears took every haymaker that Texas threw at them last night and win 83 to 69 to improve to 17 and 0 on the season. Iowa takes an early scare from Michigan State and holds on to win 84-78. Old Miss knocks off Tennessee 52-50. Illinois squeaks one out at Assembly Hall 75-71. West Virginia holds off a gritty Iowa State team 76-72. Wisconsin takes care of Penn State 72-56. In the Sunflower Showdown. Kansas tops Kansas State 74-51. The University of Maryland with a big top 25 win over Purdue 61-60. And that is all for college basketball. On to tonight's games. Number five, Houston travels to East Carolina. South Carolina plays at Florida. LSU is at number 10, Alabama. Virginia Tech travels to Pittsburgh. Kentucky travels to Missouri. Villanova travels to St. John's. And Virginia travels to NC State. The biggest game of the night that was postponed was Michigan and Northwest. That is college basketball and sports. We will be back with Wednesday Wisdom when I come back. Never in my wildest dreams podcast begins in... Three, two, one. Welcome back to Never in My Wildest Dream podcast. Looking forward to this segment, Wednesday Wisdom. We're going to talk about confidence. Confidence comes in two types. The first type is external, what we project, how we make friends, how we close deals if we're in sales, how we lead a classroom if we're a teacher, how we lead a field if we're a coach, how we lead a building if we're an administrator, how you lead a company. It's what you project. But a lot of people do not understand that there's another type of confidence, and that's internal. It's how you feel, how comfortable you are in any given situation how you feel about having to do your job and project it to the external. There's four ways to look at this. First thing is body language. I can tell as a coach if somebody's not confident in a certain situation right off the bat. I can read their body. I can also do it when you get into a situation with leading a classroom or leading a business. People can tell if you have confidence in what you're about to talk about or not. So if you don't know it's okay, it just be open and honest about it. But you gotta have confidence and you have to exude that confidence in order to get people to really buy into what you're talking about and listen. The second one is non-reacting. To me, this is huge. No matter what the situation is, you have to remain calm. You have to own the situation 
and you cannot react to your own mistakes. And you definitely can't react to others' mistakes. You have to take the three, two, one. You know, when you're a kid, hey, we're gonna count three, two, one, and then we're gonna catch our breath. That's what we need to do as adults too in any given situation in order to remain confident. Number three, you do not have to persuade others about what you know, who you know, or how you're gonna address what you know. I go back to the speech that Fortune gives Rudy at the end of the movie, which is, you don't have to prove anything to anybody except yourself. And if you haven't done that by now, it's not gonna ever happen, that's the truth. Because the moment you have to start producing something for somebody to persuade them that you are who you say you are, they've already given up. You have to be internally confident about that. It also makes you partner with people. If you can show them that you don't have to persuade, but we're gonna do this together, it makes relationships a hell of a lot stronger and a lot better in that facet. And the fourth one is you always have to believe. No matter what, you always have to believe. Because when you lead or when you are the person that people are expecting to get it done, they have to believe in you because you have to believe in yourself. These are the two big types of confidence, external and internal. I gave you four different ways it kind of breaks itself out. This is our Wednesday wisdom. Coach Donnie Lind from Radford Basketball will be on when we come back. Never in my wildest dreams podcast begins in... Three, two, one. Welcome back to Never in my wildest dream podcast. Looking forward to my next guest, Coach Donnie Lind. Donnie started his high school career. He played up in New York. He went to Baltimore, Loyola of Baltimore, where he was a student manager for three years. He did a GA year the very next year at VCU, the year that they made the Final Four run. He stayed on staff as the video coordinator from 2011 to 2013. After that, he took the jump to be an assistant coach at Mount St. Mary's, where he spent three years. And he is in his fifth year at Radford as an assistant coach. Coach, welcome to the show. No, thanks, Chad. I appreciate you having me on. Hey, not a problem at all. You, uh, you've had a whirlwind of kind of being all over the place with regards to basketball and been very successful at each stop. How has the 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 travels been with regards to you know your different stops at Loyola and then VCU and Mount St. Mary's and now Radford? Yeah, I mean, it, like anything else, you know, you learn as you go and and make a lot of mistakes. You know, I I think for me the biggest area of growth in my I guess 10 years I've been coaching now is like understanding that I don't know anything and so when I think back on it like I I thought I knew a lot when I was in college and when I was just getting started and you know realized uh you know shortly thereafter that I I really don't know that much and have used all these experiences to help you know I I thought I was a a better player than I was coming out of high school you know I was recruited to play division three knowing what I know now I probably couldn't have played on very many good division three teams uh but you know I thought like a lot, a lot of kids that we come across. I thought I could play Division One. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was my dream, and uh, so I, I went to Loyola. I chose Loyola, uh, ironically, because my junior year of high school, you know, when everybody's picking their colleges, they were the worst team in the country. They went one in twenty-seven that year, and I said to myself, you know, if I can't play there, I can't play anywhere. Right. And you know, being just outside New York City, it was about three hours from home. Uh, I knew one person, like a friend of a friend, who had gone there. And they had a good good experience, you know, not with basketball, just a student. Right. And so that was enough for me to say, all right, I'll, I'll go to Loyola. And um, unbeknownst to me, you know, during the time, my senior year of high school, they, they had fired that coach, Scott Hicks, and hired Jimmy Patsos as the head coach. And Jimmy quickly changed the uh, culture and infused a heck of a lot of talent into that program. And uh, uh, I, I found out really quickly what uh, how hard it was to play Division One basketball. And I uh, got cut my freshman year, uh, you know, really didn't take it seriously. Went, you know, uh, my next year, tried to go back again, you know, quasi made the team, sort of got hurt. And they basically were like, dude, like, we love you, you know, we need, but we need a body who can, who can help us. So you can be a manager if you want and be around the program, but, you know, you're never going to play here. And uh, um, that was, you know, difficult, uh, as you can imagine, and, and yeah. decided to do it. But I was, <laughs> I hated it. You know, I, I thought it was awful my, for about the first half of the season. And, uh, you know, I, I just, you know, had obviously had the wrong attitude. But, you know, I was 
always comparing myself to the guys who are out there, the guys at the end of the bench who are on the scout team, and like, mm-hmm. man, I could do that. You know, this is this is BS. Like, I should be playing. You know, why am I over here filling up water? You know, doing laundry, and uh, you know, my I went home over uh, over Christmas break for a couple of days. You know, just like everybody else, only for only for a couple of days. Yeah. But went home and and uh, talked to my parents about it, and you know, they basically were like, "Well, dude, you, first of all, you committed to do it, and you know, you're, you're not quitting being a manager. And if you're going to do it, like, you have to give it a fair shot. You can't just you can't just go in there and, and hate it from the jump, and uh, and, and then you're not going to know if it, if it actually ends up being something that you, you do like. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I went back with a different attitude and really fell in love with it. Uh, and, you know, at that point, you know, Loyola, where it was at the time as a program, there was no ops guy. There were no video coordinator. It was the head coach and three assistants. I mean, our, our SID did our travel. Oh, wow. Booked our, booked, booked our hotels, booked the buses. I mean, we had no help. And so uh, when I cha- you know, when I went back, I just started asking for more stuff to do. Uh, you know, can I help with anything? And I just kept showing up, kept going to the office, and they had never, you know, really had never had a manager like that. And, you know, it was Jimmy's third, going into his third year at that point. They hadn't had somebody like that. And so they just kept giving me more to do and giving me more to do. And I kept learning more and learning more and, uh, you know, really started to understand what it meant to be a basketball coach. And sometime in my junior year of college, you know, I realized that's what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, for a career. And uh, from there, you know, just again, you know, just continue to pour myself into it and learn more. And uh, I tell a lot, a lot of young coaches, especially uh, young managers, uh, you know, they all ask, oh, how'd you get that first job? How'd you get the GA spot at VCU? You know, how'd you do that? You know, I just want to get a job after being a manager. You know, I didn't play. I wasn't, you know, and uh, when I, I tell them what I did and everyone thinks I'm crazy, but I uh, going into about halfway through the season of my senior year, I wrote a handwritten note and my resume to every Division One coach in the country, mm-hmm. and you know it was three hundred and fifty some at the time, and spent the money on the stamps and sent it to everybody. And I got back like twelve or thirteen uh, letters from coaches. Uh, all of them were no's, and I got two emails back that were like, "Hey, you know, if you fill out these things, you know, we'll put you on our list for somebody maybe for a GA spot." Uh, and so, and one of those, one of those places happened to be VCU, um, you know, and they told me about their GA program and, you know, to me that they might as well have hired me at that point. Like I, I took after getting, you know, hearing either nothing or no from so many people to get that sort of email, I just jumped at it. You know, the next day I applied the next day I did everything I had to do. And, mm-hmm. and then, you know, lucky enough, uh, there was a connection on our staff at Loyola with the ops guy at VCU and he helped me get in the door, you know, probably more than I realized at the time. And, uh, you know, got to go on there. And, and from there is where I really started to learn what it meant to be, you know, a coach and, and all that. You know, when there was a manager, it was it was drinking through a fire hose at the nth degree. And, and you know, Coach Patos and, and the staff there, it was just such a different – I didn't realize at the time, but it's such a different level than what, what we were doing at VCU with, with Coach Smart. Mm-hmm. And, you know, really learned what networking was, learned what it meant to grow in the, in the business and, and all the responsibilities that come with it and, you know, being a professional as a coach, as opposed to, you know, when you're a manager, you're still a student, you're a kid, you know, even just being a GA, like you just felt a different level of responsibility and, you know, started to learn that sort of stuff. Um, when I got there, uh, obviously, you know, had, had the ultimate success my first year there going to the final four, like this is going to be easy or something. (laughs) Um, but it's funny. It's one of those things that like you look back on and, you know, I don't remember much of the games themselves, I, I, so my year when I was uh, at there at VCU, the way we kind of split up the responsibilities is every assistant coach had a GA that they you know kind of went to when they needed something. Okay. And uh, you know Mike Jones, who's my boss now, you know I was kind of his GA. And then because I was the nerd of the GAs, I also helped the video coordinator, you know, with anything that they needed. Um, so I, uh, you know, I, so every game I I filmed and I've actually live coded on the computer, the game. Um, so I never sat on the bench during it for a game. I was, you know, I was never on the court, uh, during the games, but you know, I was always uh, up in the crow's nest or wherever we had to be. Uh, and so, you know, it was definitely a different uh, perspective than what I, what I would, you know, kind of maybe assumed I was going to get into, but I learned, learned a lot. Uh, that, that next summer I was talking to, uh, somebody, you know, much older than me in the business. And he always talked about the value of 
uh, being a video coordinator or working with a video coordinator because, you know, you, you just, you have to watch so much basketball. Mm-hmm. And when you're young and, and you get a chance to do that role, you know, even though on the, you know, the hierarchy of roles, you know, that we, that have kind of been developed in coaching, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's not as high as a director of operations, right? Usually it's, you go from director of ops and the next spot of the ladder, I mean, from video and then the next spot of the ladder is director of ops. Right. But, but he, he told me, you know, I, I, when I'm look, trying to find my next assistant coach, I look at guys who have, who have been really good video coordinators because they're going to know the game better than guys who spent a long time as ops. True. Uh, and that really stuck with me, you know, because I got to spend the next two years after the Final Four as the video coordinator at VCU and, you know, really just tried to learn as much as I could about the game, you know, watch more film than I could have imagined, you know, on our team, on every other team that we played and, you know, tried to help all the assistant coaches as much as I could. And because, you know, the way, again, we divided the responsibility, I got to kind of be Coach Smart's, you know, film film guy. So I got to see how he watched and how, you know, what he looked at and really just, you know, <laughs> try to soak in as much as I could uh, from him being there. Honestly, you know, knowing what I knew now, I wish I would have taken better notes and wish I would have had more notebooks filled with all the stuff he gave me. But uh, it is uh, it is what it is. And, and, you know, just part of growing up and, and maturing. But, uh, you know, obviously learned a ton there. Uh, every, so the year that we went to the Final Four and the, the following two years I was there, uh, I, let me make sure my math is right. But I worked with, obviously, Coach Snart. Yeah, Mike Rhodes, okay. Will Wade, mm-hmm. uh, Mike Jones, mm-hmm. Jamie and Christian, mm-hmm. uh, Mike Morell, yep, Jeremy Ballard, seven seven current Division One head coaches. That's awesome. At the, you know, all came through there in the three years I was there. Uh, I mean, it's it was unbelievable. You know, just just to be in the office and and we worked a lot. You know, we stayed in the office late and we spent a lot of time together. Uh, but just to talk hoops and see all those different guys who thought the game differently and, you know, but all, you know, now have just gotten ultimate success in this business. And to the point where, you know, the guys that you can call when we have something going on here that I want to pick somebody's brain about, it's like, shoot, <laughs> which one of the guys do I go to? Mm-hmm. Uh, other, uh, other than Mike Morell, who's in our league, you know, the rest of them I can pretty much go to with, <laughs> with just about anything. And, and they got ideas and, and things that we can do. So it's it's really cool, you know, obviously that group of guys that we got to work with. And, and that's just those guys who are head coaches. You know, there's several other guys that have, you know, really, you know, advanced and, and are great basketball minds who deserve to be head coaches, you know, and probably will be at some point. Uh, but, you know, guys that are, are just have helped me so much in my development. Um, obviously, Jamie, and, uh, you know, he, he – got the job at Mount St. Mary's after a quick stint with us. He was only with us for, you know, one season at VCU and got the right. job at his alma mater and, you know, pulled me into his office. and was like, Hey, uh, I would, I want to bring you with me, but I can't. And I was like, dude, seriously? Like <laughs> I, I thought, I thought we had this figured out, <laughs> uh, but, but we, uh, you know, he, he couldn't do it. And, you know, knowing what I know now, I get it. And, mm-hmm. uh, and then a year later called me up and said, Hey, I, I got a spot that opened. You know, one of my assistants is leaving it. You know, I, I, I told you I wanted to hire you. I'm gonna, you know, I want to do it now for sure. And uh, you know, he gave me my first chance to be an assistant coach. Mm-hmm. And I, got, I, I skipped over the role of ops. I've never been a director of operations. Right. Um, ironically, it's something like knowing my personality and knowing my strengths. It's something I think I would actually be really good at. But you know, I never, I never did that job. And I uh, don't, don't mind that I didn't have to because I know there's a lot of things about it that, even though I might be good at, I might not necessarily enjoy. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, he, he and, and one thing that uh, Jamie is really good at is he's very detailed and very specific mm-hmm. on how he wants things done. And, you know, from a, a young head coach who, you know, he had only been a head coach for one year, you know, to take on someone who's never been an assistant is hard, you know, because he had to teach me everything mm-hmm. and, uh, and how to be an assistant and everything he needed. But he had already developed exactly how to do that. You know, he had obviously worked with really good people and he had a, a plan and, you know, really taught me a lot of the basics, uh, basis of what I do today, every day in the office, Right. you know, call, calling coaches and working with our guys and connecting with our players and, you know, watching film and how to scout and how to recruit and what to look for when you evaluate And I mean, all things that have helped me so much, uh, and to, like I said, still to today. Uh, and, and that's a, you know, something that I don't take for granted. I, you know, now that I'm getting, hopefully getting closer to someday getting to be in that chair myself, uh, you know, I think, think back to him doing that, you know, at his age and with somebody who had been his friend and now he's got to be my boss. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I, I don't envy that, you know, uh, how he did it and, 
and he did a really, really good job. And like I said, you know, taught me a ton. I lived with him for the first three months before my family moved up there. So we got to really, uh, you know, figure it all out. And, and it was, a, it was a great experience. Obviously we won, which always helps, um, you know, recruited some really good players, won a lot of games. Um, and like I said, I just learned what it takes to be an assistant every day. All the things that you don't know, you don't realize, you know, when you're in a, in those other roles that the assistants are doing to uh, obviously continue to move your team forward and move your players forward, but also to, you know, find and develop those next guys in the pipeline uh, for your program. And so, you know, certainly learned what it meant to recruit and how to do it and, you know, met, met some good people along the way. Uh, that's when we first really got to know each other. And, and that you know, is a great spot for that. I thought, you know, a place like Mount St. Mary's that loves basketball in an area that loves basketball, it, it works. And it's a place that, you know, obviously continue to have great success uh, since. And and then uh, three years in, uh, I got a call from, from Coach Jones. Like I said, you know, he was, he's was he been a mentor to me since I was 22 years old and got to VCU and put his arm around me and let me eat dinner at his house. And, like, he would invite the players over. He'd invite me too. And, you know, he's any time I have a question about, you know, my career or whatever, I would always ask him what he thought. And then he just called me one day and said, hey, I got the spot open. Somebody's leaving my staff. I was like, well, if you're gonna, if you're gonna bring that up to me, you know, then you, I know you've got my best interest at heart, um, you know, and and so it was as tough as it was to leave Mount St. Mary's and to, to move on there, you know, I I, I I felt like I had to do it, and, and it was a, it's been a great opportunity here, uh, you know, Coach Jones here has done such an unbelievable job of building a program, uh, taking over, you know, really a program that was really downturn. Mm-hmm. In, in a bad place and built it up and brought in really good players and you know into his credit you know they got to a point uh, about this fourth or fifth year here I came I came in after his fifth year and he got they had gotten to a point uh, a couple years in a row they won over 20 games but they couldn't you know quite get over the hump they couldn't uh, uh, get win games in the conference tournament you know and they couldn't get past second or third in the league you know they just kept getting I mean shoot they had an NBA player on the roster uh, Javante Green is playing for the Celtics now and, mm-hmm. and, and still just you know, couldn't get over that hump. And like I said, to his credit, you know, he really evaluated what was going on inside of his program and decided to, uh, to actually uh, fire three guys on his staff. Okay. Um, and, and then uh, about a week before, so he made that decision, but hadn't executed it yet. And then he got a call that one of his other assistants was leaving. <laughs> And so he was, le- and so he said, "Well, do I go back on this other? You know, I I'd already made this decision. Am I gonna, you know, still let these guys go? Like, I'm gonna. It's just gonna be me and one other assistant, and that's it." Um, but he, uh, you know, he said, "You know, I know what's best for our program is we need to re- you know, kind of reboot some of these and get some different ideas and different uh, attitudes in here." And so, uh, you know, he stuck with it, and so he hired me and uh, David Boyden on the same day uh, that summer. You know, we hired a new uh, ops guy and a new video guy and basically got a refresh of the of the staff. And, you know, it, it wasn't quite building a program from the ground up, but it, it was similar, you know, because it was we were all new. We had to figure each other out. We had to learn these players who, although they, you know, some of them played for Coach Jones, it was it was they were basically new. We had like a seven man freshman class that year. And, you know, really, uh, you know, we didn't know. As, as all the new guys, what the old culture was necessarily. Coach Jones just told us that he wanted this place to be the, like the most positive and most exciting program. Like he really felt like that's what we needed here. Um, with, you know, so without him really saying it, you know, he's saying that the, you know, it wasn't always positive. It wasn't always, you know, guys didn't always bring a lot of enthusiasm to what we were doing. And so, you know, we just decided that, you know, we bought into that. I and mean, that's me as a person anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I, I like to think I'm pretty positive most of the time. I know I'm a glass half full guy and I do everything with, with a heck of a lot of enthusiasm. Yes. So, you know, it fit me. It was probably why he called me because <laughs> that's what he wanted. Mm-hmm. But, uh, uh, and, and Coach Boyden actually, you know, he's very similar. We have very similar personalities in that sense. Uh, and so, you know, we just went all in with that and, and tried to maximize the talent we had and continue to get better. And obviously, you know, we, we, we lucked into some really good players that, you know, we thought we evaluated well and the some other, and Coach Jones evaluated well. And, uh, you know, I had, I've had really, really good success here in the last uh, four years now, going on five. And, and this year, you know, off to a really good start, really happy with, you know, how we're coming. We had, you know, we lost 92% of our scoring from last year, our top eight players. And, you know, it was one of those things that, you know, again, if we wouldn't 
have decided that we were going to be enthusiastic and positive, it would have been really easy to just be negative about this year. Right. You know, there's so much other stuff going on, so many distractions. All the kids get their year back. You know, there, there's a there's an easy to just say, eh, you know, we'll do the best we can, and you know, it's all right. Well, we got we got next year. And you know, to our guys' credit and to Coach Jones's credit, you know, we spent the summertime when all we had was Zooms, mm-hmm. you know, and we couldn't get together. We spent all that time on our culture, and you know, we had never we had we knew our culture. Our staff knew our culture. The players who had been in our program knew our culture, but we hadn't necessarily had it defined for our guys. We hadn't uh, really given them concrete examples. And now when we're losing all these guys and have all these new faces, it was a perfect time for that to, uh, to do that. And so, you know, we really talked about it. You know, we have three pillars in our culture, uh, juice, you know, that's how we describe our enthusiasm, uh, brotherhood. And, uh, the last one is we said we fight for inches. And so we spent a lot of time with our guys, uh, talking about those three concepts and what they mean and some examples of them and, and how to live them and, and everything that's going on and, and how it is it all encompassing and not just a basketball thing. And that's really paid huge dividends for us because now the guys get to campus and we're allowed to start doing some individual workouts and we're not allowed to, you know, go, uh, play basketball, right? We're just got one guy in the gym or we got two guys in the gym and we could talk about, you know, well, if we really are rad for basketball, then we're going to fight for inches and try to make, try to still get better. Try to still, anytime we get a chance to compete, whether it's against ourselves, against somebody else, we got to do that because that's what it means to be, you know, a member of this team. Right. And, and all that stuff really worked together to help us, uh, you know, get our guys come together because, you know, it's hard with so many new faces and guys who don't know what we're doing. And we changed some things that we're doing offensively and defensively and, you know, really gave our guys a, a, a whole lot of new stuff to figure out and, we took some lumps early in, in a non-conference, but it, it's starting to come together, and it's been fun to see uh, it all kind of the, the culture and the style of play. You know, we've all kind of blended together, and it's a good fit with the personnel that we have. So, it's going well. That's a that's a pretty long-winded answer to talk about what uh what I've learned, I guess, as I've gone through. But it's been a lot. No, I appreciate you being open with it. You know, opening your chest cavity and just kind of explaining everything because I don't think a lot of people completely understand what truly goes into coaching. It's not just X's and O's and practice. There's a whole world behind what we do on a daily basis. When they only see that 40-minute window or two-hour window on national television, there's a big difference behind that, which I appreciate you talking about. I'm going to ask you about the guy that got hired on the same day with you in the summertime. Is he currently on staff with you guys now still? Yeah, yeah. Dave Boyd, and he's still here. So we started at the same time. Uh, you know, we started with camp, right? We both got here and it was, it was camp. We showed up and, uh, we got there on a Sunday and camp, you know, camp for, we had a league camp, I think, I guess we got there on Friday, a league camp on Saturday and Sunday, and then little kids camp on Monday and we were rolling and we were, (laughs) we went right to Applebee's on our first day and played everything out of the back of a napkin, how we were going to do camp, how we were going to just figure it out. (laughs) And, uh, and, and, you know, like we had an instant connection, uh, and our, we realized right away, you know, that we had similar personalities and we're going to be positive. And, and like, this, we got, we got thrown this challenge, you know, the day we get there. Right. Yep. And, and coach Jones says he wants us to be excited and positive. Uh, that's what we're going to do. And, and we got to, got right at it. So for anybody listening that has not seen a Radford basketball game, you and coach try to have the most enthusiasm coming off the bench every time out. Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Co- Coach Boyden and I, um, yeah. So, Coach wanted our bench to be, you know, the most enthusiastic, and, and uh, it's funny. So, it started not the really the first year. The first year was kind of survival mode at that point, uh, and, and trying to get all these guys on the same page with us and, and figure it all out. And then the next year, you know, we we got a huge influx of talent. Uh, we had the kid Carly Jones, who's in Louisville now, who had had a red shirt his freshman year. Uh, which was our first year here. Uh, you know, we had some academic things that ended up having to register the first year anyway. And and then we, we got a transfer in Travis Fields uh, from Old Dominion, who the two of them, you know, came in basically together uh, with a bunch of guys who had played a lot as the year before and had some success, but, you know, hadn't done a ton. Uh, and we were picked pick ninth in the league. And, you know, that was a chip on our guy's shoulder. And then we got about halfway through the season, not even, it was early. It was right before the end of our non-conference. We went on a trip. Um, we we played in a you know, one of those tournaments out in uh, Vegas, and 
before we got to Vegas, we had a game in San Francisco and a game in uh, Reno, Nevada. We played Nevada and we played San Francisco. And coach said, you know, to one of us, to me, Coach Jones, Coach Boyden, and uh, one of our managers, he said, you know, I keep wanting us to have just a little bit more enthusiasm on the bench. You think, you think we can get a bench warning on this trip? And me and Coach Boyd looked at each other like, yeah, yeah we can get that done. <laughs> that's, what, that's, that's all you need. We should get that done. And, and that just changed it. Um, we, had a, we had a five man who was a junior that year who was an, no, he was a senior that year. He was an elite charge taker. And, and that's kind of what started it. We decided that, you know, anytime it took a charge, we were just going to go crazy on the bench. Mm-hmm. And, and that trip, you know, it started and uh, it was me and Coach Boyd and the manager and then you know, a couple other guys at the end of the bench, you know, we kept getting them in. And then our video guy, you know, we kind of implored him to get those guys because he sat down at the end of the bench. And so he would get those guys going when, when something happened and, and that really got it going. And so, you know, we, uh, I, I get it. I get embarrassed. My wife, I think it's more embarrassed than I do. Um, but yeah, we, we get after it. Uh, we try to have a lot of fun. You know, we remind ourselves all the time that, you know, we're playing basketball, yeah. These guys, they, they, they put a lot of pressure on themselves, their parents and their families and everybody put a lot of pressure on them to be successful. Like we have to remind them that, you know, we're having fun out there no matter what, especially when we do things that are selfless, that, you know, taking a charge and giving up our bodies and, and diving on the floor and things. We, we, uh, we have a sports psychologist that comes in and he calls those sort of things, uh, EGBs, energy generating behaviors. Hmm. And so when somebody's doing something like that, um, you know, we make sure we are we're adding to that energy that's being generated and, and showing the guys that those are the things that we get excited about. Those are the things that, that provide the juice that we talk about in our culture uh, for our program. So, yeah, if, if you watch us on, on ESPN Plus on Thursday night, you'll see, uh, you know, now especially with these benches spread out, guys are flying around, having a good time back there, <laughs> jumping up and down. And, and Coach Boyd and I try to lead the charge as much as we can. No, nah, it's, it's awesome. Obviously, you and I texted for a long time. Like when I got hired at South, you were the first person that texted me congratulations, and I really appreciated that. And, you know, we kind of – we're in a fraternity together, and, and I try to explain that to people that all of us coaches are in a fraternity. But when I was at Pittsburgh for the NCAA tournament, I guess it would have been two years ago now, and you guys played up there, it was fun to watch the bench because the camera can't show all that stuff, but to watch your all's excitement – was a lot of fun from that from the angle that I was sitting at. So I, I've tried to implement that with my my players. I haven't really pushed my assistant coaches to be that way yet. But I think that as you and I were talking before we came on the air, we got to have something positive with the guys getting back in the gym, and maybe this is a good way to kick it off. Oh, for sure, for sure. I'll make sure to send you our list of the of EGBs. Those are the things. So we make our guys, uh, we make them memorize them. They have to they have to be able to. Uh, know all six there's 16 of them on the list and they got to be able to know them all um and we usually give them like a group like a partner like two guys together got to be able to get all 16 uh and usually we get you know we got some kind of gear or something that they get if they uh if once they once they pass the, the egb certification yep uh but those things are are great because it it takes the focus off scoring because <laughs> everybody out there wants to score everybody whether you're whether you're the starting starter wing or you're the last guy on the bench you think you should play the whole game and you want to score. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when we can put the focus on other things and, and show our, and show that we really believe it, right? Like if we can say all we want that, all we want guys who are going to dive on the floor. But if, if our actions say we only care about the guys who score all the buckets, then it, it, it's not going to matter. But part of us getting excited on the bench and getting the bench excited about those other things is, uh, you know, reinforcing the fact that that's what we care about. Right. We have a we have a saying in our program, and I love it because juice is juice, right? Is that's one of our yep. core values. That's who we are. Well, we have a saying that making shots is fake juice. Anybody can get excited when you make shots. It's easy to get fired up when you make shots, but that's that's temporary. That comes and goes. You know, you can't control that. You can control being the first on the floor. Mm-hmm. You can control you know giving up your body on the charge. You can control those things, and that's where you know where we believe the real juice comes from. And but those are things that our guys we. I mean, they're not all in all, all, all the time, but uh, I think we're doing a pretty good job at, at getting them excited about those things. No, I still I watch you on ESPN Plus now, and I get excited when I see that different stuff. And now I'm actually getting like more behind the scenes, which I, I appreciate. You know, you've mentioned a lot of names as you and I have talked on this podcast. The VCU family seems to have an ex- exceptional tree, I guess would probably be the right term. 
How has it been to be in that tree to have all those connections at, any, at your given disposal at one time? Does, does that something that you really lean on on a regular basis? Yeah, I mean, obviously, every day I show up to work, I get reminded uh, right. with Coach Jones. But it's a, it's it, unfortunate, you know. I, it's funny, you know. Like I said, I started as a GA there, and after my year as a GA, I got put in charge of filtering all the applicants. You know, so we go to the Final Four, and I get hired that next, you know, right after that. And they say, "Hey, we got all these people who now want to be GAs. Can you go through their resumes and you know cut it down to you know whatever fifteen, and then we'll cut it down from there." And so I said, okay, you know, went through the resumes and I go through these resumes. I'm like, how in the heck did I get a job here? <laughs> you know, like uh, these kids are all way more qualified than I was. And, uh, you know, just so fortunate to have gotten the opportunity to get, you know, to be at the right place at the right time and get to know these people. And, you know, and now with, with technology, what it is and how easy it is to stay connected, it's, it's awesome. Yeah. You know, and, and it, it, the only hard part is that so many of them are head coaches it's like how I don't like bothering them during the season, you know, like they got, they got their own programs to run and things to do. And, um, you know, so a lot of those guys, I, I try to leave them alone unless I really need something. But the cool thing is that with the graduate assistant program that they have at VCU, you know, there's five or so GAs every year that come through the program. And, and I tell a lot of people who are getting involved with coaching that, you know, everyone wants to network up the ladder, mm-hmm. you know, with, I want to network right now with, ADs and head coaches so I can get that next job. But networking with people who are doing the same job you're doing right now Mm -hmm. is so important Mm -hmm. because in in the next 10 years, if you have a big picture view of your career, those are the people that might be the ones who really, really help you because we're all going to move through the business at different rates and, you know, different uh, uh, levels at different times. And some, some are going to, you know, go on to be head coaches really quick at division one some are going to decide they want to be a high school coach and they might have a player that helps you win a championship. Right. You know, there's, but those are the guys that you can build a, a strong quote unquote network, but they're just, are just your friends, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you're doing the same job. You see them on the road, you're having beers together, you know, whatever it is. And so those are the guys, you know, being at VCU that you, I was able to build so many relationships with. Uh, and some of the, some of my closest relationships are guys who aren't even coaching anymore, you know, but we work together for, you know, a year or two, or then there's guys who have, like I said, they've moved around at different rates and are, are some are assistants and ops guys and some are coaching in division two and division three. And it's been a, it's been really, really cool to have that connection. And, and we all, we all understand kind of that we've done, done a similar experience. Even guys who go through that program now, you know, if we have an opening for a ops guy or a video guy, you know, I'm going to trust that those guys have done real work. You know, they, they got a basis of knowledge because, Oh, they did. They went through the same deal I had to go through. Right. Uh, and so it's it's certainly unique. Uh, obviously, it was it was around before Coach Smart, but you know, since the success that he had and continues to have, um, you know, it's certainly cemented a lot of these relationships. And uh, you know, certainly glad that <laughs> my name's attached to that uh, for whatever. You know, I like to think I helped a little bit, but you know, I know I couldn't have done it without all those other guys, and certainly without any of our players. Uh, you know, they're the ones who, who should get all the credit for all the success that we get and Coach Smart gets. And I know he gives a lot of credit to those guys because, you know, they, they bent over backwards to accept him and, and you know, really uh, went all out in buying into the things that we were trying to do. You know, you've worked for some seriously great guys. I mean, you know, between Shaka and, uh, and then obviously Jamie and then now Mike. What was it like to work for Jimmy Patsos as a manager? <laughs> <laughs> I had to ask. So, yeah, Jimmy. Jimmy is an awesome person. Jimmy is also out of his mind. He'll tell you, he's <laughs> he's crazy, and and that's okay. Uh, you know, he's he's definitely an older school uh, coach. You know, he's Gary Williams' disciple and, and coach with a lot of that same fire. Uh, but you know, Jimmy, it, I got to VCU and my eyes were open because it was just so different than the way Jimmy did things. Jimmy helped me become. You know, I got to college like a lot of our players do. You know, I was. Uh, most of my life was a single. Well, I was a, at a single parent mm-hmm. for. A, I shouldn't say most, but for a, a large portion of my formative years, you know, I was in a single parent house, and and hadn't really been, you know, had a male figure that came at me that told me I was wrong. Right. Uh, a lot like a lot like a lot of our players get to us with. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jimmy was the first person to do that. He treated me, you know, he held me accountable. I should say, you know, he he just like he did the players. If I messed up the clock he would let me know. 
but also if I did something right, he would praise me for it in front of the team. And, you know, he, he helped me grow up and, and, you know, helped me, you know, go from being a boy to being a man, just like what any parent would want to happen when their son was in college. Uh, and he, uh, you know, he, he ran, he flew by the seat of his pants some. And I tell, you know, I, every once in a while, you know, coach Jones will make a quick change to the practice plan. And our guy who's running the clock will like, you know, roll his eyes or something. I'd be like, Jimmy would come down like four minutes before practice started with like a five by seven uh, index card and like scribble on four, four drills we were going to run. Then he would paint a big vertical line down the middle of the card and he would just write play on the other side of the card. And we would just play the rest of the day. And like, so don't worry about it, man, just cause we're going to do this drill for eight minutes instead of 12 minutes. And then he's going to plug something else in. Like it's, it's nothing compared to, <laughs> to what you could have to deal with when it comes to that sort of stuff. But, um, you know, I, I think Jimmy got a little bit of a bad rap there at CNN at the end. Uh, I was disappointed, you know, obviously that they let him go uh, when they did. Uh, I think he really cares about the people that he that are under him, whether they're players or coaches or managers. Even, you know, I know for a fact, you know, that he cares about people. Really, really does. Now, he, he again, he's, he is going to hold you accountable uh, to a high level, to a high standard. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think that, you know, as a 17, 18, 19, 20-year-old kid, you know, you need that. And like I said, it really helped me grow up. It helped me build a foundation of a lot of things, you know, as a person that I try to model with my children and, and help them understand, you know, again, that, you know, we, I'm going to, I'm your dad, I'm going to hold you accountable. This is the standard. This is the standard. And, and you got to do it. And if not, there's going to be a, <laughs> going to be a consequence. Cool. Sometimes the man, sometimes the manager's got to get on the line and run a suicide too. And nothing, nothing the players like more than when the manager goes on the line to run a suicide. Oh, they love it. Now, we hated it as out-of-shape managers, but the, the players love that sort of stuff. Now, do you make your guys at Radford run suicide or run lines if, if they up as managers? Uh, we, we have, so we, uh, we've we had one or two here. Yeah. Uh, nothing crazy, uh, but everyone's, again, it's it's totally in jest usually. Oh, again, yeah, absolutely. Not, it's, it's totally having a good time with them, and, and they get it. So right now, this year, one of our things is if you shoot an air ball, you got to run it down and back. And so that has now gone to anybody in our program. So if, if one of our managers is messing around before. Uh, and so, you know, we do, we do do sort of some things like that. Just to, to, part of it is letting them know they're a real, they're, they're a part of what we do and, and we appreciate it. Yeah. You know, I, I think that again, I, when I was a manager, I, I realized that, you know, I'd never seen that. And it was, it was similar at VCU. You know, you, you feel like you're a part of things. Um, because you're held accountable, you know, you're not just hired help that's there to run the clock or get the water and do the laundry, but you know, you feel like you, you have a, a say in winning and losing because you're, you're sacrificing and giving to the team too. You, you know, you mentioned video multiple times in, in this realm. I don't think a lot of people who listen understand the value of video and how many successful coaches in the business have started in the position of video. I mean, Eric Spolstra was the video guy for the Miami Heat and then goes and wins a championship. Now, LeBron helped him with that, but the video job helped him get the job that he's currently sitting in. For sure. Yeah, so video is is it's one of those like ambiguous jobs. Every every head coach asks, asks for different things from his video guy, but at the end of the day, you know, you, you, when I was a video guy or video guy here at at Radford, you know, you're responsible to make sure that no matter what any coach on the coaching staff needs from a video standpoint, they have it. You know, and now with technology, like they have it now. When I even when I first started ten years ago, you know, we were still getting games on DVD. So you usually would get a day or two to kind of uh, of, of lag time, mm-hmm. but now I mean our Big South games, even our you know ESPN Plus Big South games, as soon as that horn hits, you can download it and start cutting it up. Uh, and so you know there's there is a, a guy who's been successful in that job. One, he's watched a ton of basketball, and not just watched it like a fan. You know, you've had to break down tons of games. You break down all your games. You break down pretty much, you know five to seven of all your opponent's games. Mm -hmm. And so you're, you're learning the game that way. You're learning actions, you're learning uh, schemes and offensive and defensive schemes. And um, not, and then because if you're, if you're worth anything and worth your salt as a coach, you're, you're using that to help develop your philosophy, right? You're because you're watching so much, you're seeing, man, I like this. I like that. I, I, you start to build a database of 
things that would work for you. And I think, you know, somebody like, obviously like Spolstra, you know, you've, you've just watched so much film and built such a, a database of the game that, um, you have, when, when you get that, when you're given that opportunity, you know what you want to do. And so you don't have to worry about that. Uh, and, you know, I think that there's a, there's an assumption made that when somebody's hired as a division one head basketball coach, that they're, that they know what they want to do from an X's and O's standpoint. And I don't necessarily believe that that's always the case or that they know the game really well inside and out X's and O's wise, you know, just because you've been around and been an assistant for 10 years, you know, whatever it is, it doesn't mean you know the game, right. you know, maybe all you, maybe all you do is get players Yeah. and you, you know, and you're a great recruiter and that's just, don't believe me, that's super valuable. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're ready to be a head coach. Right. But I do think having that experience, uh, it just helps you understand the game so much better and, and quickly. You know, in three years, you learn how, how to cut up a game really fast, how to pull out the important bits, dissect it, and get it, you know. And, and again, like I was working with Coach Smart, I had to not just cut it up how I would cut it up. I had to prepare it so that when he walked into his office the next morning, it was ready for him. Where he had the game exactly how he wanted it, how he liked to see it, mm-hmm. you know, with, in, in the order that he wants to watch it. And, you know, labeled and, and uh, you know, with the terminology he likes to use and all those sort of things. So... I do think it's a really valuable job for someone who wants to uh, really learn and understand the game of basketball. Just I mean, you, you have to. If not, you're just you just. It's really hard to be successful Absolutely. when you're when you're doing that job without and watching that much film without really really digging in and, and developing your philosophy. You know, you and I texted a couple of weeks ago about getting you on the show, and you said, "Hey, I got the next two scouts. Hit me up like you know next week." Which obviously I did, and I'm really appreciative of you being on the show. How many games do you watch going into a scout usually? Uh, so this year's unique, right? Because we played back to back this year. That's true. You do, uh, yeah. So it's so honestly, this year you can pretty much watch the entire conference schedule for all the teams we play. Um, but it's weird because you know you play the same team two days in a row, mm-hmm. and so teams are different. Game one versus game two, and if you're preparing for game one, and anyway, we'll talk about a normal year. Uh, when, you know, when you play a team and then you play them again, maybe you know, three weeks later or a month later when in how conference play normally works. Um, as an assistant coach, I'm going to watch minimum their last five games. Okay. Full, fully watch their last five games. Um, if it's, you know, there's some teams in our league that I might watch a couple more of just because I want to make sure, you know, they have a, they have a pretty deep playbook or, um, you know, whatever it might be. But thankfully, you know, with the way technology is now, like I can pull up, for example, special situations, you know, I can go online and pull those up without having to, you know, find all the games that they had that were, you know, five point games in the last two minutes. Right. You know, I don't have to, I, it, it'll pull those up for me, which right. is a huge value from what I had when I was a video guy. I'm sure. And then you'd have to go back and, you know, find that game and, you know, find that segment of the game. And, you know, it might be three years ago because that was the last time they had a, you know, a certain situation that you want to see. I remember, that's a funny story. I remember when we were playing Wichita State in the uh, NCAA tournament when I was at VCU, and, and Will Wade had the scout, and he said, hey, uh, <laughs> I don't know if you can get this, but when Greg Marshall was at Winthrop, they had two NCAA tournament games that, you know, they had to make a, a play at the buzzer, whatever it was, a side out of bounds or an end out of bounds at the buzzer, and he remembered it from when he was a student at okay. Clemson watching the game. And he's like, I want to make sure we know those plays in case – we're in that situation with him. And, you know, sure enough, uh, made a few calls and got, got a hand on some film and, and got the games and, and found the clips. And, you know, we ended up winning by enough that didn't matter. But, you know, it's those sort of things that, you know, that could, could can take a long time in the, in the scouting process. Um, but usually it's five games and you try to get the tendencies. You know, one thing that I think I've tried to be get, keep getting better at is understanding how much I need to know and then how much can our players retain Yes. In a scouting situation, mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, there they, I can I need to know it because we call a timeout. I need to know what's going on and what they might be going to next or, you know, what the counters are that they might come up with. But when we're giving our players information, we try to really streamline that for them and try to keep it a relatively brief personnel to the you know one or two best things that that guy does. Even at our level, there aren't many guys that have a third counter. Right. To what they do. You know, if a guy's a, a strong left driver, you know, he might have a up and under at the end and, and get you off your feet, you know, or he might have a, a right hand one drill pull up. But 
you know, very few guys have a third move after that. Right. Um, that they're gonna they're gonna beat you with. And then we, we try to go over the other teams three or four main actions that they run the most. And so you gotta watch enough games to know that this is consistent with what they run, that it wasn't a one game sample where they ran, you know, one play a bunch of times in one game because it was working, but maybe it's not really one of their main things. Um, but we try to keep it pretty simple for our guys. We try to be really aggressive defensively. Um, you know, we we ice ball screens and keep the ball on one side of the floor and, and try to kick teams out of their offense by doing that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And then you, don't, then you don't have to know as many plays that the other team runs, you know, because you're just going to do you're going to do what you do, and they're going to have to adjust that. It, it's funny you mentioned ice the ball screen. I learned the icing concept from you and Ben Wilkins. <laughs> Sitting, I want to say you and I were like at Spooky Nook or something, and we were talking about it, and it was just one of those conversations. Which, from a from a, a guy that was at the Division Three level, I appreciated you always letting me sit beside you and pick your brain at different times. And I obviously was watching talent; you were watching talent. But people don't understand that that situation right there helps both sides in a lot of ways. Because as I've tried to explain to people, when you're at the Division Three level. I'm going to see more players because I'm going to be allowed to be in more gyms than you are. So over time, I might be able to call you and be like, yo, Donnie, there's this dude at this gym, at this school that I really think you guys need to look at. And it's a relationship thing. And you know if we're getting the right type of kids that I'm going to give you the right type of information for your program. So people don't understand the networking that you and I do at the, even at our levels to make sure the conversations occur. Right, for sure. And, it, and it's it's – it's a friendship, right? Mm-hmm. You build a friendship and that's why yep. it works, but mm-hmm. it's also strategic, right? I, I almost always want to sit with the division three guy at a, at an AAU tournament mm-hmm. because like you said, the odds are you've seen the kid that I want to see more than I have mm-hmm. just because you're allowed to be there more, you know, the division three coaches, you know, they have less rules. And mm-hmm. if you're a good division three coach and you're, you know, you're earning your, your keep, you're out there and you're seeing a lot of players. And so, uh, you know, I want to, I want to pick your brain there and, and you want to pick my brain about things and, you know, it's a it's a mutually beneficial relationship, and that's that's what it all should be, right? Like, Absolutely. People talk about networking and what can I gain from knowing this guy. At the end of the day, right? We want to, you know, we all do this crazy job that is uh, was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of work, and and we really enjoy it. And we're around other guys. Most of us all have the kind of the same motive and the same mindset, and so you know, it's easy to have those conversations and build relationships. And if you're if you are who you are and, and you're honest and open, that's how I, you know, that's how I try to do. Like I have nothing to hide. If I see a kid that I think you'll like, I'll tell you, but it, you know, when you're at Shenandoah and, but I'm also probably going to tell my buddy at Megan, yeah. you know, because, yeah. <laughs> because we're friends. Right. You're going to tell and Dave. That's how and, it works. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and, and you're, you're going to do the same. If you see a kid that'd be good at rapper, you're probably going to also tell your buddy at, at Mount St. Mary's. Yep. And then, then we gotta do our job and, and decide if we like him, and then we're gonna try to get the kid if we can get him. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's it's got to be mutually beneficial. It can't just be a one sided type thing. Yeah. Where you know you're you're all about you, and and but you won't give up anything. Right. Uh, right. How you do stuff. You know, it's funny. Um, I was at. I was I, Mike Rhodes might have still been an assistant coach before he took the Rice job at VCU, and there was a kid in Martinsburg that ended up the Grantham kid that ended up going to Clemson and playing and Mike was recruiting him and Mike and I talked a couple times a week he was just trying to find every little bit of information out he could like hey who do I need to contact here who do I need to contact there and it really showed me how deep the questioning goes to make sure that you're getting the right read on the kid before you offer him and put him as part of your program I, I really learned a lot from that experience for sure. And it's why, you know, places like, I, I like to think it's why at VCU we didn't have the, in, the outflux of transfers right. that a lot of places had. Because we, we didn't just make talent evaluations. Right. You know, we, we, we tried our best. And, and co- that was that's Coach Smart's, you know, mantra. You know, he, he was going to, he wants to know everything. He wants to make sure he's making the right call on the person. Because it's easy to, to t- evaluate the talent. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and part of it's the difference between, you know, <laughs> unfortunately the nature of the beast, but you know, when you're recruiting at the division three level and you've got to recruit a lot more kids, yeah. it's hard to have that, you know, those sort of in-depth conversations about that many of them. Now, when you start to narrow your list down and I'm sure you can, but you know, that's one of the nice things about our level is we don't have to recruit quite as many, uh, our list isn't as long, 
Right. And so we can, uh, we can hopefully, and, and we do that still here. You know, we try to really know the kids that we're recruiting, know everyone around them, know if they're going to be a fit in our program uh, more than they are just a fit on the court. Because those, that's why kids leave. That's why there's so many transfers. It's not because, you know, they're not getting enough burn or, or they weren't a good fit for them from a basketball standpoint. The vast majority of kids leave because they didn't realize the culture that they were getting into mm-hmm. or the coaches didn't realize the type of person that they were getting uh, for the other, you know, 22 hours a day when they're not in practice. Yeah, I mean, I, it's funny you, you use that phrase because, like, I, I listen to a lot of stuff, podcasts, that type thing, and one of them was, was Buzz last year. It was during a press conference, and, you know, when he was down at Texas A&M, and he basically is like, look, dude, I'm not recruiting you anymore. I've already offered you, and if you don't like what you have here, it is what it is, because if I'm begging you to come here or to even think about being part of my program, when I have to put your back against the wall and hold you accountable, it's going to be the opposite of what I really need to have happen. And and I truly believe that when you recruit kids, that's how that's how the bad one, situations blow up because the accountability sure. is not accepted the same way. Um, yeah, Coach Smart used to talk about the appreciation to entitlement ratio. Okay, right? He wanted our guys to have a high level of appreciation and a low level of entitlement. And if you could keep, if you could find players and people you know, with that sort of a ratio in their life, then they're probably going to be successful when I, I assume I'm allowed to say when shit hits the fan. Absolutely. You, you are. know, like, uh-huh. <laughs> like when, when, when I coach you hard, cause I'm going to, I love you, but I'm going to coach you hard. And coach Mark's going to coach you hard. And coach Bones is going to coach you hard. Um, you know, are you going to, if, if you have a high level of appreciation for your situation, for what, we, what we, all the things that we do for you, for our, the relationship that we've built with you, then if you have a high level of appreciation for all those things, then, and then you won't be entitled and you won't feel like, why is he picking on me? Uh-huh. You know, what, what's going on? Because all he's doing is wanting me to be my best. And if he wants me to be my best, he's got to hold me accountable. Absolutely. Absolutely. You, uh, you know, coach, I appreciate your time. You're, you're a busy guy. And, uh, I know that you guys play the next two days against you got upstate the next two days. Yeah. Is that we, who you yeah, guys USC got? Upstate tomorrow and, uh, and Friday. And then you got Winthrop next week. Is it, am I looking at that right? Correct, correct. As of now, you know, in the in the COVID era, <laughs> our schedule could always change at a moment's notice. But uh, as of now, yeah, we have our next three series at home, uh, upstate, and then winter, and then Gardner Webb. So I'll get a little homestand. My wife and kids enjoy that. I bet. Get a few more days at, at, at the house. I, I bet. Now, I was going to ask you one thing before we hopped off yeah. here. When I, w- when I played at Shenandoah University, we would play Saturday-Sunday games. That was just the way that the USA South held their things. We had nothing during the week. We play either it was a home stand or a road stand, as you just kind of used, and you played Friday Greensboro, Saturday Methodist, you know, something like that, or you go Saturday Sunday. How has it been with your players going back to back? Because usually at the college level, the only time you go back to back is in conference tournament. Everything else is yeah. spaced out. How has the adjustment been from that perspective? Uh, well, I mean, they our, our players want to play, right? You know, at the end of the day, they'd rather play than practice anyway. True. So they don't. They certainly don't <laughs> mind the games. Now, we have made a con. We we've had to kind of structure our weeks and have a conscious effort to make sure that we 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 are trying to do everything we can to be fresh for both games. Right. You know, but we're not. You know, from our standpoint, it's not like we're saving anything for the second game. Or you know, Coach Jones said right away when we did this, like we're winning the first game. We're doing whatever we can to win the first game. Right. We're not just going to lose the game because we're trying to have more legs the next day. Like if we can go out there and win the game, we're going to find a way to win the game. Uh, and then I think our players, you know, the nice part about having such a young team this year and such a new team is they don't know much different. True. You know, they, true. They're, they're from a high school AAU mentality still. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we have, I mean, we start two freshmen. We have another freshman in our rotation. We play, you know, a couple sophomores with no seniors. Okay. So, you know, they're, They've been pretty flexible. Uh, one of the things I thought Coach Jones handled awesome the very first time we all got together as a team on campus when everybody got here. You know, he said, guys, this is this is unprecedented. I don't know if the season's gonna end. I don't know how it's gonna start, you know, but they're gonna let if they're gonna let us play, we're gonna be prepared to play. And then and then he said that the teams that are the most flexible this year are gonna have the most success. True. And, and whether it's been in our practices, whether it's been, you know, guys getting sick or hurt or anything else, you know, it's something that we have preached on over and over. We had a game canceled last week 
when we were healthy and the opponent was healthy. But the league, you know, decided that they want they needed to move some games around, and we ended up not playing last weekend. I saw that, and and it's like, what, what's going on? But we 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 said, hey, we gotta be flexible. We gotta take it in stride. Mm-hmm. You know, hopefully, you know, find the positive there. Get some guys healthy, maybe that needed a couple extra days off, and and do that. So you know, whether it's the back to back games, or you know, having to take a couple days out of practice, or having limited bodies for a practice because we're doing contact tracing. You know, whatever it is, yep. you know, we've tried to just take the attitude of being flexible mm-hmm. and being appreciative of the opportunity to play and trying to find the good in that day and, and whatever it is, trying to trying to find the good in what we're doing. And I think I think our guys have done a really, really good job of it uh, so far. You know, they've been able to handle themselves you know, pretty well. They've maintained relatively good health through all this, which is good. great. Good. And uh, and have uh, obviously risen to the occasion on the court. Uh, as best as they could, you know, night in and night out. And so, you know, it's it's been fun. It, it, it's unique, obviously, playing back-to-back mm-hmm. from a scouting, coaching standpoint I'm and sure. a strategic standpoint. And, you know, there's a lot of things that as coaches you would love to do, but then you realize that you really can't. You know, you got to kind of rely on your principles more than ever mm-hmm. and and double down on the things that you want to do. And you know, we, do, <laughs> we do 20 minutes of shell drill every day. Okay. And, and we say, you know, if we're going to be good defensively, it's because we have really good principles. Because when we're one pass away, we're you know we're in the right position. Uh, you know when, when we're when we're supposed to be on the white line, the, the line that goes down the middle of the court, and we're on the white line. And so we do it every day. And, and so we trust that that's why we've been good in these back-to-back games. Right. Is because at the end of the day, we rely on our principles and we drill our principles like crazy, and we don't tweak more than we have to. Right. And uh, and obviously, so far it's been successful for us. Hopefully, we can uh, have a great February here. Yeah, you guys are having a great year. The I noticed that Campbell was a triple overtime and then a back-to-back game. How did their legs feel on the twenty-first? Uh, yeah, they were they were tired. So that that was one that we didn't even know we were going to go down there. Uh, really, the league added the league added that series. Oh, uh, wow. on, so we played them on Tuesday and Wednesday. Yeah, Tuesday, on Wednesday. Sun, on Sunday at noon, we got a call from the league that we were going to play that series. Oh wow! Uh, we we had given our guys that Sunday off. Uh, one, they were gone. Out of we had a guy who wasn't who was in Northern Virginia because he had to get something done the next morning at the DMV. I mean, it was it was crazy. Um, but again, the flexibility and the guys hurried up and got back. We had a great practice that that night, mm-hmm. that Sunday night, and, and Monday we practiced and rode down and we played a triple overtime game. And the guys just battled. We had multiple guys that played fifty plus minutes and you know high forties and. The next day, they you know they came to play again, and, and I I love the competitive spirit. You know they practice every day. You know it's a little different to play back to back games, obviously, but right. you know they we we hopefully we're get them in good shape. And uh, one thing, Coach Jones, he's taught me since I've been here, and, and this might sound silly, uh, but like the, the the real value of conditioning is is ridiculous. Like if you're a good player, you should never be out of shape. Correct. And and it's easy for us to say that as adults. Right. But, um, like, we run suicides, and we do a thing called the Final Four, where we run four suicides in four minutes at the end of practice. And, you know, we still do that in January, February. Not every day, obviously, and, and but when we have an opportunity, or, you know, we, we ran one last week when we had an extra, you know, bye week on the schedule. And, and things like that, just to make sure that the guys are in shape. Mm-hmm. Because we don't feel like you can play hard if you're not in shape. True. And, and so... You know, he's taught me that more than ever, the value of in-season conditioning and continuing to run your guys at practices it isn't quite enough to get them where they need to be. And uh, and I think that paid dividends when you play playing back-to-backs this year and playing, you know, a triple overtime game and then playing a game that goes, you know, ends up being, you know, a game that goes down to the final two minutes. And, and then, then we had the next day off, which was nice. We did get the, the next day off after that, which always helps. Absolutely. Then recover. But, uh, yeah, it's been it's been different. That's for sure. It's, it's certainly uh, unique. I, I would not vote to do it on a yearly basis that we would always do this. You know, and, you know, obviously we're, we're all, you only play teams at one, one place or the other. Either we play them home for two games or we play them away for two games. Right. So that part of it's really unique. You know, like we'll never go to Winthrop this year, which I certainly don't mind with that as good as they are, but um, you know, there's teams that never come here either. And so it's, uh, it's definitely not something I would vote for on a normal season, but it's, 
we're, we're so fortunate to be able to play. No, I, I'm totally with you on all that. And like I said, you know, we're, we're going to, I'm going to steal a lot of stuff. I took some notes today while we were talking, coach. I appreciated the EGBs. I, I love that, that whole thought, thought process, the final four. I wrote that down. I'm sure my players will absolutely love me with that. Yeah, but, they love that. They love that. <laughs> but you know, the juice, the brotherhood, the inches, I, I think all that stuff's really important. And, uh, you know, this is what relationships, as you said, and friendships do, and they allow us us as coaches and you as coaches to kind of pass ideas back and forth and we can give them to our kids and, and make life easier for everybody. So I, uh, I want to wish you luck here with uh, the next two games. You got upstate on Thursday and Friday, and uh, I'll look forward to watching both those games on ESPN plus and um, you know, safety to you and the family as we get through this, this crisis and this, this pandemic, but I really appreciate you coming on the show. Oh, no problem, Jack. I appreciate you having me. It's always great to, to talk the game with, with your friends. You know, that's it, one of the nice things that's come out of all this is we I think we've all gotten a little bit more opportunity to, to just reconnect with some friends and talk the game. And, and even though we didn't get to do it on the road, you know, watching that 16 under basketball at Spooky Nook, we do get to still do it, uh, you know, virtually, whether it's Zoom or, or calls and stuff like that. Absolutely. Take, have a good rest of your day, Coach. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. All right. You. See ya. Bye-bye. I really appreciate Coach being on. Like I said, he's a good friend of mine, and we're able to go back and forth, text and call, and talk about a little bit of everything and not just hoops, and that's the best part about this. As him and I shared before, you know, the pandemic has kind of made us think a little bit more than just basketball. So, uh, you know, I really appreciate Coach's time today. Looking forward to tomorrow's show as well. Pastor Jay Recto from Lifehouse Church will be on, as well as Throwback Thursday and Sports Wrap. Until then, thank you for listening to Never My Wildest Dream podcast, and we will talk to you soon.